You're listening to the Christian Bro Code Podcast. This is episode number 22. Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Christian Bro Code Podcast. This is episode number 22, and I am your bro, Dr. Mario Escobedo. Yeah, I said it, doctor. Look, in the first 21 episodes, I never introduced myself as Dr. Mario Escobedo, and I'm I'm doing it now, episode 22, for the very first time, and I think, I, I think I'm going to stick with it. This is the first time, so I can't tell for sure, but more than likely, I, I'm going to do that. And let me let me tell you why. I was having a conversation with a friend who also does a podcast, and I just happened to mention to him, yeah, you know, in my podcast, I just introduced myself as Mario Escobedo. I don't say doctor or anything like that. And he said, man, you, you need to do that. And I was like, well, why? He says, well, look, the, the type of content that you do, you do Bible studies, you do Bible teaching, you you look at growth principles from the Bible, and people need to know that they're listening to somebody who knows what they're talking about, that, that they're listening to somebody who's invested time into preparing himself to present the kind of material that you're presenting. And so I say, you know, that that makes sense. I, I do want to lend some credibility to what I'm doing and what I'm saying and what I'm teaching. I don't I don't want anybody to think that I'm just making stuff up and that I'm just pulling this out of my ear or out of the air or out of something. No, that there's there's some substance behind what I'm saying. And so for that reason, really for no other reason, I'm not doing it to to be considered to or to show off that I have a degree or anything like that. No, I, I want you to know I'm doing this so that you would know that you're listening to somebody who has invested the bulk of his adult life into preparing himself and learning and studying the Bible with the intention of being able to present you with Bible studies and Bible teachings. That's really that's really what I've been doing for the, the bulk of my adult life. And so when I present myself as Dr. Mario Escobedo, I'm doing it again, not to show off, not to put myself higher than what I think I am, because that's not it at all. I've, I mean, if, you, if you've ever spoken to me, you, you've never heard, hear, heard me talk about my doctorate at all, like never, because I, I just don't do that. That's not who I am. But I just, I want you to know, and as l- new listeners come on, I want them to know that they can trust what I'm saying, that I've, I've invested time into researching and studying and presenting only what I feel is my very best. And so along those lines, I, I do have a, a PhD uh, from Baylor University in Waco, Texas. And my PhD is in biblical studies, but I specialized in Old Testament studies and Hebrew Bible. And I'm so grateful. I'm grateful because I had the opportunity to work with some of the most brilliant minds, men and women, and I'm talking about professors and my fellow students, and they just stretched me. They 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 stretched me and they challenged me to grow in my studies. And so I'm so fortunate, I'm so blessed that I was able to go through that experience at Baylor and, and earn my PhD through through Baylor. But just the learning environment that I got to enjoy with professors and fellow students was incredible. I think that was so crucial so important for me developing a thirst for knowledge and and for me continuously challenging myself to grow because I was in that environment where man you, you had to grow you 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 just there just wasn't a choice you had to grow so I, I mentioned that so that you understand where I'm coming from that when you hear me say and this isn't an apology by any means I, I'm not ashamed of my doctorate by all the contrary I'm proud of it right I just don't like sticking it in people's faces that, that's not who I am but I do want you to know that I, I've prepared myself and that each episode I prepare myself to bring you the absolute best that I can bring you. So again, this is the Christian Bro Code Podcast, and I'm your bro, Dr. Mario Escobedo. In this episode, I'm going to talk about 
Joshua chapters 3 and 4, long chapters, so of course we're not going to look in detail verse by verse. I'm going to look at some verses, but if, if you don't know what these chapters talk about, this is when the people of Israel crossed the Jordan River to get into the Promised Land, and this is right before the Battle of Jericho. So this is Joshua chapters 3 and 4, the people of Israel, when they crossed the Jordan River and when they set up 12 memorial stones after they crossed the Jordan River. And, and everything I'm going to say is really a setup to talk about the 12 memorial stones and what they meant for them and what they could possibly mean for us today. So I'm, I'm going to take you through part of that narrative a little bit of history, a little bit of context to understand the crossing of the Jordan River. But really the emphasis is those 12 memorial stones that the people of Israel set up at the Lord's command after they crossed the Jordan River. So let me give you a little bit of context regarding Joshua chapters 3 and 4. By this time in Israel's history, Moses had already died, and Joshua is Israel's new leader. At this time in Joshua chapters 3 and 4, the people of Israel are on the eastern side of the Jordan River. So if you can picture a map of, of Israel, and you know that uh, towards the right-hand side of the map of Israel, there's a long line going from north to south. That's the Jordan River. It's in the Jordan Valley or the Jordan Rift. The Jordan River goes through there. At the north end of that is the Sea of Galilee. At the bottom end or the south end of that is the Dead Sea. So if you can picture that, just to the right of the Jordan River, just a little bit north of the Dead Sea and to the right of the Jordan River, that's where the people of Israel were at this point. They're on the eastern side of the Jordan River. I guess technically that's part of the Promised Land, but really when we talk about the Promised Land, we talk about the western side of the Jordan River. But I guess technically, in a manner of speaking, where they were is it's kind of the Promised Land, not technically, but, I'm, you know, it kind of is, it kind of isn't. But here's what's happening. If we look in chapter 3 of Joshua, the Lord has given Joshua some instructions for them to cross over to the western side of the Jordan River. And one of the things that God told Joshua was that he was supposed to choose 12 men, one man from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Doesn't tell him yet what they're for or why he's choosing them. He just tells him at this point, go and choose 12 men, one from each of the tribes of Israel. And then look at what verse 7 says. I'm going to read verse 7 because this is important. Verse 7 says that this is what the Lord said to Joshua today. I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I'm with you as I was with Moses. That's important, because what's happening here is that here Joshua is, is going to have to prove himself as a leader. Keep in mind that he is trying to fill the shoes of Israel's greatest leader up to that point, basically Israel's only leader up to that point. But for having been Israel's first and really only leader, Moses did some pretty incredible things. He, under God's guidance, of course, he delivered the people of Israel from Egyptian slavery, led the people of, the, of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. And of course, Moses made his mistakes. He had his mess-ups. Of course he did. But that doesn't take away from the fact that he was a fantastic leader. Something that really stands out from Moses' leadership is that, of course, through him, God delivered the people of Israel by parting the waters of the Red Sea. And so here comes Joshua following in Moses' footsteps, and this, as you can imagine, is a huge, it's an enormous challenge. How am I going to step in in the place of Moses, who has been leading this people for this past 40 years, done some pretty incredible things, spoke with God, <laughs> you know, face-to-face, -face basically, got 
from, you know, directly received from God the Ten Commandments, this is the guy I have to follow. Now, of course, this doesn't take God by surprise. God already has a plan, and so he tells Joshua, don't worry about it. I am going to do something so that everybody in Israel will know that just like I was with Moses, I am going to be with you. Now, verse 8 goes on to say, Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. So these are instructions for when the people are actually going to cross the Jordan River. The first ones who are going to go are the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, And so not only do they come to the edge of the water, but God then instructs them, go and stand in the river. Okay, so we're setting up the instructions for this point. Now, verse 14, we're going to jump all the way down uh, from verse 8 all the way down to verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them, following instructions, right? Now, verse 15. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet, as soon as the priests who carried the ark, reached the Jordan, and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Let's talk about that for just a little bit. There's a very important detail that's mentioned here, that at that point, the Jordan was at flood stage. What does that mean? It means that it was deeper than normal. It means that there was more water than normal during this harvest season. It means that more than likely the the current, the flow of the water was a little bit faster and a little bit stronger because there was more water. More than likely what's happening is that there's there's snow that was melting from Mount Hermon, which was farther north, depositing into the Sea of Galilee, and then that just creates more water, more flow, more current for the Jordan River. So all this is taking place, and notice what, what happens, that as soon as the priests touch the edge of the water, the water stopped flowing. Now, it's important to note this, this little detail that I said about the water being at flood stage, because I think the reason the Bible includes that detail is to let us know that this isn't a shallow body of water that we're talking about. We're not talking about water that is ankle deep or even knee deep or probably even waist deep. The fact that it is flood stage, the fact that it's during harvest and it's flood stage indicates that the water is probably overflowing the banks of the Jordan River and it's deeper than normal and the current is faster and stronger than normal. I think this is meant to indicate to us the people of Israel aren't crossing at a place where it's knee deep. Otherwise, this miracle wouldn't have been necessary in my mind. I think it's meant to set it up for us. And notice what it says that happened when the priests, the, their feet, their feet touched the water's edge, the water stopped flowing. It just come, it piled up. And it says that it piled up at a town called Adam, which roughly would have been between, I don't know, 10, 15 miles north of where the people were, were crossing. So it's not as if it piled up just directly in front of them. No, this pileup was way back up north. I mean, it was, it was quite a ways away from where they were. And so that stopped the flow of the Jordan River to going, uh, from going into the Dead Sea. And incidentally, in case you didn't know, the Dead Sea is the lowest place uh, as far as surface elevation goes. It's the lowest place on the face of the earth. And so this is what happens. The priests step in the water. The water stops flowing. Now, as we, as we continue to read verse 17, it says like this, the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground 
while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. Now, this is very, very reminiscent of what took place with Moses and the crossing of the Red Sea. Very reminiscent. God parted the waters of the Red Sea, and the waters remained parted for the entire time that the people of Israel were crossing through the Red Sea on dry ground. Something very similar is taking place here with Joshua, and and that's intentional. Remember, earlier in the passage, God said, I'm going to do something to exalt you in the eyes of the people to show them that I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses. And so the very first miraculous event of leadership that God does for Joshua is very similar to what happened with Moses, the stoppage of water, the people of Israel crossing on dry ground where there should have been water. So God is beginning to position Joshua as a leader like Moses. And these these details that come out, they're, they're important because it says that the priests were standing in the middle of the Jordan on dry ground. Now, typically, you and I would think that in the middle of a river, the riverbed, that's more than likely the deepest part of the river. It could be. Not, not in all cases, I know that. But that's probably where the deepest point of the river would have been at this point, a flood stage. And this is where the priests are standing, right in the middle of the riverbed of the Jordan River. And meanwhile, the water is stopped up, and all the people of Israel, they're just crossing. They're just crossing onto the other side, and they stay there. The priests, they stayed there on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan River until all the people had finished crossing on dry ground. All right, so when we jump over to verse 4 of chapter 4, here's where we get into the memorial stones. And this is really, everything has been a setup for this, at least for this episode. Joshua chapter 4, verse 4 says this. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. Now remember, he, he hadn't told them what they were going to do. Here it is. And he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. So go stand where the priests are. Go over there. They're still standing there. Go over there. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. Okay, so just just picture this in your mind. The priests are still standing in the middle of the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant. The water is still stopped. And now Joshua tells these 12 guys, go over there where the priests are, and each of you pick up a stone, put it on your shoulder, and bring it out. Now, the fact that it tells, that it mentions, that Joshua says, put it on your shoulder— is an indication to me of the size of stone that we're talking about. And this is going to be important. Hold on to that little detail, because when we get to another part in just a little bit, I'm going to bring that detail back to your memory. But the fact that they had to put the stone on their shoulder is an indication of the size of the stone. This wasn't a pebble. This wasn't the rock the size of a grapefruit or even a basketball. This was probably a a hefty enough stone and a heavy enough stone that they had to hoist it on their shoulder in order to carry it out of the middle of the Jordan River. Again, hang on to that detail. It's going to come back up in just a little bit to help us understand something. So notice these 12 men, they go to the middle of the Jordan River, and they pick up a stone, a rock, they put it on their shoulder, and then they they make their way out. And the reason for this is that these stones, these 12 stones, are to serve as a sign among the people of Israel. Now, when we jump on to the second half, the second part of verse 6, we find out what this sign means. Verses 6 and 7 tell us what the sign is all about. This is what the second half of verse 6 says. In the future... When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? 
tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Now, I want to explain this portion of the passage from the perspective of the children who are asking the question, what do these stones mean? Because I can imagine that something like this was going to play itself out. One day, a family is walking near the Jordan River or wherever the stones were ultimately set up, and the children would ask their parents, hey, look at that. There's 12 stones. They're, they're arranged kind of differently. Like all the other stones around are just kind of thrown around. But those 12 stones are arranged in a particular way, and they're, they're bigger than all the other stones. And I can imagine a son or a daughter turning to their mom or dad and saying, what do those stones mean? Like, what are those stones all about? And here's where the, the parents would have jumped in and began, they would have begun to give an explanation about the 12 stones, which may have gone something like this. Oh, okay, yeah, great question. Now, let me tell you something about those stones. Those stones were taken from the middle of the Jordan River. And I think the kids at that point would have responded with like, what? That's insane. That That's impossible. I mean, Dad, Mom, look at how deep the Jordan River is. Look at how fast the current is flowing. I mean, there's no way that those stones came from the middle of the Jordan River. Like, how did that even happen? And the parents may have responded something like, well, these 12 men were appointed by Joshua to go into the river, to the middle of the river, and take a stone and bring it out and put it over here. And the, I can imagine the kids like, what? That's crazy. Listen, Dad, there's no way that there's any man who is strong enough to swim into the river, go down to the bottom of the riverbed, pick up a stone that size and that heavy, and swim back to the surface with that stone, put it onto the bank of the river, and then still have enough energy to carry it over to where it was now. That's impossible. There's no way that any man, much less 12 men, could have done that dive into the river, swim down to the bottom of the river, pick up a stone, swim back up and bring, come on, dad. That's just, (laughs) and then, and wouldn't the current have taken them? Like, never mind that the water was deep, but, and that these stones were at the bottom of the river, but I mean, there's a whole current that's flowing. I mean, dad, come on, that's impossible. And that's where the opportunity would have been for the parents, for the mom or for the dad to step in and explain, oh yeah, there's one little detail that I left out. You see, what happened was, you're too small to remember this, or you weren't born when this happened, but I remember it because I was there. What happened is that God stopped the water from flowing. You see, we were on the other side of the Jordan River, and God had promised to to bring us to this side of the Jordan River, but we were on that side of the Jordan, and we didn't know how we were going to cross. But when the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant into the water of the Jordan River, the water stopped. And all of us, all of us, we all crossed from that side of the Jordan to this side of the Jordan on dry ground. And while the water was still stopped, then those 12 men went and they each got a stone, those 12 stones that you see here now. You're right. It's impossible for these 12 stones to have come from the middle of the Jordan River, but that's how it happened. I saw it with my own eyes. I was one of the ones who crossed from that side to this side on dry ground. 
And so it served as a memorial for the parents, for those who had experienced that. It served as a memorial, but they were passing that story of the memorial on to the next generation. And here's, here's, I think, an important aspect of this passage. Definitely, these 12 stones served as a memorial for the people of Israel forever of what God had done for them to bring them into the promised land. But I think that those 12 stones, God also intended for them to serve as conversation starters, as something to allow the parents of future generations to start a conversation about the power and the goodness of of God, just like that little scenario that I played out for you right now, a family walking by the side of the river, happening upon these stones and asking, what are those stones? What do they mean? Conversation starter. Oh yeah. The parents jump in. Let me tell you about that. Let me tell you about God's power. Let me tell you about God's faithfulness. Let me tell you about God's goodness. Conversation starter. See, it's a memorial for Israel, for them to remember throughout all generations what these stones were about. But it's also a conversation starter for parents to pass on to the next generation the information, the experience of God's goodness and power. And so as we're thinking about that, I can imagine that there are things that that we have in our life, that there are things that you probably have somewhere in your house that can serve as, quote-unquote, memorial stones, things that remind you of what God has done in your past, things that remind you of God's goodness, of God's power, of how you were in a, in a certain situation and how God showed up and He just did something miraculous on your behalf. I, I have to believe, because I've, I've got these things in my house, but I have to believe that there are things in your house that represents something very important for you of when God did something out of the ordinary for your life. Now, I want you to notice that the, the 12 stones that the people of Israel set up, they, they, they weren't setting up idols. They weren't there for them to worship the stones. They were reminders of what God had done. And I'm sure that you have things that are very important to you. You don't worship those things, but they remind you of what God has done. What I want to encourage you to do is to use those objects, those quote-unquote memorial stones, as conversation starters with your family, with your kids, to let them know about God's power and God's goodness and what He has done in your life. And show them, say, you know, this, this thing that I've got here in my hand, whatever it happens to be, it'll be something different for all of us. This thing that I have here, let me tell you, why I've, I've hung on to it for so long. In fact, let, let me give you an example. Let me, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, my, uh, my wife's sister and her husband, they have a set of drinking glasses. And they've had these drinking glasses for at least 30 years. It's probably longer by now, but at least 30 years. And these drinking glasses have an incredible story behind them of God's faithfulness. Now, I've heard them tell me this story, and it, it's 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 impacted me. They have these this set of drinking glasses, and when you look at the drinking glasses, they're from Whataburger. Now, if you're listening, if you're not in Texas, I'm 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 in Texas. Whataburger is a chain of of restaurants that sells hamburgers here in Texas, and uh, these drinking glasses were a free gift from Whataburger during a promotion that they were having, and so when you ask my wife's sister and her husband, why do you still have those glasses after 30 years? Like, why are you still hanging on to them? 
you'll hear them tell this story. Well, at that time, it was pretty early on in our marriage, and we couldn't afford to buy drinking glasses. So we knew of this promotion going on at Whataburger, and so what we did is that we went to Whataburger, and money was really tight. We couldn't even buy a set of drinking glasses. Money was really tight. And so we would go to Whataburger, and because money was so tight, we had to split a meal. We had to split the burger. We couldn't even buy a burger for each of us. We had to split it. But when we would split that meal, we would buy it, and we knew that we were going to get a drinking glass. And so we went back enough times to Whataburger and split a hamburger and got a drinking glass, and that's how we ended up with a set of drinking glasses for our home. And they still have those drinking glasses after 30 years. And I, I, I in, in talking with them... They, they've, they've communicated this idea to me. It's a reminder to us of God's faithfulness. It's a reminder of a time when things were really tough for us, financially speaking, but it reminds us that God was faithful, that God was with us, that God never abandoned us. And even though things were tough, our faith was being tested and God proved himself faithful in our lives. You see that, that's a memorial stone. And I have to imagine that in the 30 years that they've had these drinking glasses up in their cupboard, and by the way, they don't have them stored in the attic somewhere. They don't have them put away in the garage. No, they're, they're in like their main cupboard. Like you, you go to their cupboard and you open up their cupboard and there they are. And I have to imagine that in these past 30 years that they've had these drinking glasses, their kids have probably told them something like, why do we still have these drinking glasses? Like, we have enough glasses. We can buy glasses now. Why do we have these drinking glasses? Essentially, they're asking the same question that the children in Israel would have asked. What do these stones mean? What do these glasses mean? And it's an opportunity for their parents, my, my wife's sister, or my sister-in-law and her husband, to remember God's faithfulness, to remember God's power, but it's also a conversation starter for their kids. Let us tell you why we have these drinking glasses. Let us tell you how God was faithful. Let us tell you how God came through when things were really tough. Let us tell you how God was faithful, how, how he, he brought us out of that situation, and, and how he was faithful time and time again. And now, they have grandkids, and those, gla- those drinking glasses are still there. So now, not only do they have the opportunity to share that God's faithfulness story with their kids, but now they can share it with their grandkids as well. That's, that's the idea behind these memorial stones in Joshua chapters 3 and 4, that God says this is going to be a memorial, an everlasting memorial for Israel, a memorial that, that's passed on from one generation to the next to the next. That's what I see happening with these drinking glasses, those memorial stones. And and my wife and I, we, we have our own memorial stones as well. Things from her childhood, things from my childhood, things from our marriage, things that, that mean something important, something significant to us. Uh, for, for example, we have the bracelet uh, from the time that one of our daughters was in the hospital. She was hospitalized with the disease, a very rare disease called Kawasaki disease. It's a, it's a disease that can affect the heart, and if not treated, not caught in time and treated properly, the person with Kawasaki disease, which it typically happens in kids, very rare, if it's not caught and treated in time, that child will have heart problems for the rest of their life. Well, it just so happens that our pediatrician at the time caught Kawasaki disease in our, in our daughter. We took her to the hospital, and the doctors were able to catch it in time and treat it, and our daughter is like 
there's no problems whatsoever with regards to my daughter and her heart. And we kept the bracelet of when she was in the hospital. For us, that's a memorial stone. And we take it out from time to time and we show our daughter because she was, she was too young. I mean, she was really young. She doesn't remember her time in the hospital and how she had Kawasaki. We show her pictures, but I mean, she really doesn't remember. So we bring that bracelet out from time to time and we show it to her and we remind her of God's faithfulness. We remind her how we know of other people, of other kids who at, at about her same age, at about that same time, they were diagnosed with Kawasaki disease, but it was too late. And we remind her, we say, God was faithful. God, God healed you. God, God was with us in that difficult situation. And here's, here's a memorial stone for us. Here's something that we use to remind ourselves as parents of God's faithfulness, but we want to remind you also that God has been faithful in your life. And when we take out that bracelet and we show it to her and she asks, why do you still keep that? I mean, it's old, it's dirty, it's wrinkled. Why do you keep that? We say, let us tell you why we keep that. And we, we use that as an opportunity, a conversation starter, to let her know of God's faithfulness. And so I'm sure that you have something in your house that reminds you, it serves as a reminder of what God has done in your life. And let me, let me, let me just leave you with this. You can use memorial stones to talk to your family about what God has done in your life. It doesn't have to be an actual stone, but something that serves as a memorial, a reminder of what God has done. Use those objects to talk to your family, to share with your family about what God has done in your life, about how God has been faithful. And so I'll, I'll ask you, do you have an object that you hang on to because it's a reminder of something God did in your life? If so, use that object. Don't just, don't just keep it for yourself. Don't just keep it as a memory for yourself. Use it as something that you can show your children and your grandchildren and whoever else will listen. Use it and show it to them and say, look, this is a reminder. This for me is a memorial of God's faithfulness, of God's goodness, and of God's power. So I'll leave you with that. You have some memorial stones somewhere in your house, somewhere you have something that can remind you and remind others of God's goodness and of God's faithfulness. That's it for this episode. Hey, let me remind you that this teaching is also available as a YouTube video. If you go to the Christian Bro Code YouTube channel, there's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can access the video teaching of this same topic, of this, of this same passage, but you can do it visually. And, and, and I encourage you to do that because I have uh, on the YouTube version of this teaching, I have some maps to give you a better idea, a better geographical context of these events that are taking place here. So I'd, I'd encourage you to go check out the Christian Bro Code YouTube channel, the teachings that are there. Subscribe to this podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel. That way you're always up to date with all the newest and most recent episodes that I'm putting out. Bro, I hope you keep growing. I hope you keep learning. All this that I do is for your growth so that you can continue learning and growing and being the follower of Jesus that you know that you can be and that you want to be. That's it for now, bro. I'm signing off. Until next time, this is Dr. Mario Escobedo saying God bless, bro. Bye.